0: you, Jesus. There is no empty tomb without the cross. But the cross isn't good without an empty tomb. Amen. It's very difficult to separate the two because either is meaningless without the other. If there wasn't an empty tomb, then the death on the cross was just another Roman execution. But if Jesus, the Savior, the Lamb, hadn't shed his blood on the cross, we'd still be in our sins, right? We'd still be lost because the penalty was never paid. So we're so grateful today for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you today for the great sacrifice that you made to give your one and only Son. Jesus, we thank you that you... You were willing to go that route on our behalf. At great anguish, knowing exactly what was in front of you, you went willingly as that lamb to the slaughter so that your blood could be shed on my behalf, that your blood could cover my sins, my horrible choices, my wrongdoings covered by your blood. Father, I thank you for that incredible, incredible sacrifice today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before you're seated, turn to the person beside you, say, I'm thankful for the cross. Amen. Turn in your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter one, verse eighteen. Jumping right into the scripture. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. I can't remember which translation I took this from. <laughs> I think it's the NIV, but it could be the New King James. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to Paul and his understanding of the theology of the cross. Paul said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Paul asks the question, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disruptor of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And I think that becomes more evident every day. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block and to the Greeks, foolishness but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And Paul summarizes, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Father, we ask for your grace and your power to rest on your scripture today. Father, that you would enable me to, Lord, communicate and to help us understand today in the light of eternity. And Father, that you would increase our understanding of the depth of love and the depth of sacrifice made on our behalf and what that has accomplished for everyone here today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be commemorating this sacrifice at the end of the service by celebrating in communion together. And so, as Barry already mentioned, if you're online watching with us, if you could gather uh, your own emblems at home, get some grape juice, get some bread. Uh, If you have unleavened bread, that's great. But if you don't, uh, I think there's grace for that. And uh, we would ask you to just join with us in that celebration today at the end of the service. Today, my message is called The Problem with the Cross. And I want to start out by just pointing out that Everybody, especially historically, but I think even today, has a problem with the cross. You know, Paul's making a simple point here. He's saying that the cross and the message, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to anyone who's perishing. In other words, to anyone who's not had any kind of revelation, any insight into what Christ accomplished on the cross and what God has done, if we don't have our eyes opened and our spirits awakened, it's foolishness. It's foolishness to us. It's nonsense, and when I say that everyone has a problem with the cross, everybody has a problem with cruelty and suffering. Everybody has is 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 literally shaken to their core when we start talking about punishment. We've even we've even outlawed in our country uh, capital punishment for crimes because we 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 are abhorred by the idea of taking another person's life, even in the name of justice. We we. We, we are abhorred by the war in the Ukraine as people are losing their lives uh, fighting for, for justice, and we see something repulsive in suffering that we don't want people to have to go through. And we have a problem with the message of the cross, even many Christians, because we look at it and we go, why? Why was that necessary? And even the disciples and the people of the first century had a problem with the cross. They had a problem, you know... They they believe Jesus to be a man of incredible power to be a man of incredible wisdom. And yet the cross seems to be an insult to both of those truths. That if Jesus was all powerful could he not avoid the cross and if he was not if he was wisdom the wisest person alive would he how could he make such a miscalculation to end up on the cross. But the cross was not an act of weakness and the cross was not a miscalculation. It was a calculated, predetermined, powerful choice. How they missed it, I'm not sure. Do you not remember Jesus saying things like, unless a man picks up his what? Cross and follows me, he is not fit for that. Jesus said this on numerous occasions in the scripture. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus said this, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, it produces many. He was prophetically speaking all the time about his own destiny, his own future. Jesus knew the mission that he was on earth to accomplish. He knew that he was a sacrificial lamb, that, that by his blood, he would make us clean. He knew that. That doesn't mean that in his humanity, it was not a difficult thing to embrace. That's why we see him in the garden. The Bible says, sweating drops of blood and crying out to God. If there's any other way we can do this, any other way, then let's do it that way. But nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless. Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew the weight that was going to come upon him while he hung upon the cross, and he still was willing to submit to the Father. And it's not just people in Jesus' day, the people that couldn't see what was happening, that had a problem with the cross. I think people today, people you work with, the people that you uh, talk to, they also stumble over the cross. Religious-minded people, they want systems and safety, not a cross, not sacrifice, Intellectually minded people want wisdom and truth, but not something that is foolishness, as Paul calls it in Scripture. So what uh, does God offer us in the cross? Why the cross? Well, bottom line is because sacrifice is necessary. Everybody say that. Sacrifice is necessary. The earliest believers called the cross the wisdom of God and the power of God. Look at Paul's words again. He said, Christ, the power and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God stronger than man. It's a stumbling block for us to understand how the cross could be both power and wisdom, but that's indeed what it was. God's power, God's wisdom in action, because God had a plan. Through the cross, God was about to redeem all humanity. And now think about this for a minute. Not just humanity of the day or humanity going forward, but humanity of the past. Jesus made this clear in John 8 when he was speaking to the religious leaders and he, uh, they were questioning him about who he was, and, and he made this statement, which is extremely profound. It slips by people in Scripture all the time. But Jesus spoke of Abraham, and he said, Abraham saw my day, this day, and rejoiced. Abraham saw in in, in faith. And that's why the Bible says that Abraham was redeemed by faith, not by works. His faith was forward. Our faith is in one, something that's already happened, but it's faith in the same event. Do you hear me this morning? Abraham's faith was in the Redeemer who would come. Ours is in the Redeemer who has come, but their faith is what got them into a place of standing with God. Faith in the sacrifice that Christ would pay on their behalf. We understand that Christ dying on the cross was not the end. In the Orthodox Church, they they have a tradition. On Saturday, it is joke day. Joke day. So everybody in that tradition, they they tell jokes with their friends, their neighbors, clean ones, but they tell jokes. Uh, and even the priest gets in on the act, and they, they celebrate in the community, and Saturday is joke day because they realize that the suffering on Friday is going to be turned into victory on Sunday, that the enemy that rejoiced over the death on Friday is going to have a trick played on him when Resurrection Sunday comes. There's a joke that's up, and the joke is that God has sent his son, and he's paid the price for all of us when the enemy thought that he had won. Hallelujah that at the darkest moment in history god pulled off the greatest hoodwink and he actually sacrificed his own son paid the price for all humanity and then by the power his power rose him from the dead on the third day <laughs> that is fantastic that is fantastic hallelujah satan thought he'd won on friday and so a lot of times we it's hard to find good friday songs Because every Good Friday song, we want to end the song with hope. We want to end the song with joy. We want to end the song with rejoicing because we call it Good Friday for a reason, not Bad Friday. Because our focus is on what Friday secured for us. All right? It's on what Friday secured for us. And that's what I want to close up here with. Sacrifice, there's no way to avoid sacrifice. How many know in your own life you've got to make sacrifices? But here's one of the things about sacrifice that we learn through the cross sacrifice leads to victory ask any athlete they'll tell you years and years of training and sacrifices and staying home and eating right and having the right diet and exercise all the sacrifices they make are what lead them to victory do you hear me Wayne Gretzky is an, ex, an was an ex, exemplary talent he was born gifted but if Wayne Gretzky never practiced If Wayne Gretzky never sacrificed, if he never said no to the movies on Saturday because he was going to the rink, if he never did that, he would not be the record holder of more records than anybody else in NHL history. He is the record holder because he made sacrifices. He took what God had given him innately and he matched it to sacrifice and he pulled off victory. And every one of us has victories that God wants us to secure. We can't all be Wayne Gretzky. We're not all called to be Wayne Gretzky. We're not all called to be the president, the prime minister, or any other grandiose thing that we may think of. But we are all called to victory. Do you hear me this morning? Every one of us. We are called to, the Bible says, all the way back in Deuteronomy, you're called to be the head and not the tail. You're called to be on top, not the bottom. And you'll have to make sacrifices to get there, but the end result of sacrifice is victory. Jesus showed us that he paid the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, but he achieved the ultimate victory. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the victory. Do you hear me this morning? Some people want, they want to just hear about all the victory. They don't want to hear about the sacrifice. I find it all the time in the financial world. People say, well, it must be nice. You ever heard that phrase before? Pastor must be nice, you know but they have no idea what sacrifices have been made for that person to be where they are. Do you hear me? Where does blessing come from? It comes from sacrifice. How many know it's a sacrifice to take a tithe of your income and to set it aside for the kingdom of God? That's a sacrifice. A sacrifice. But when I make the sacrifice, then God has something to bless. Bless. God has something to put his anointing on. God has something to pour his favor upon so I can experience victory. Jesus made the sacrifice on the cross. Now God's got something that he can bless, something that has been accomplished that is, is changing history, and he can resurrect his son. He can't resurrect what is not dead. Sacrifice. Victory. Tied together. Hallelujah. Once you've been to the cross, once you've been willing to make sacrifice everything changes. As a Christian, you're not going to be able to live out this journey of faith and hope without being willing to make sacrifice. But there is no sacrifice, Jesus said. There is nothing that you've laid aside, not kingdoms, nor family, nor anything that God will not make up to you. He's able to bless that sacrifice, and he's able to add victory to it. If you're not experiencing victory, maybe it's because you haven't been to the cross. Maybe you're not willing to pay any price. And so you're not, you're not making any sacrifice, then there is no opportunity for victory. Some of you are saying, well, wow, that's, that's kind of mean, cruel. Smart. God promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So when we make the sacrifice, this is the one story of the... Of the cross that's different for us than it was for Jesus Jesus sat upon the cross and hung there and when he hung there he at his most crucial moment as he's on the edge of death what were his words they were my God my God why hast thou forsaken me the only affinity we can't make with the cross is that we we can't understand that because he will never leave you or forsake you why Because he abandoned his son on the cross where he carried the weight of the sins of the world, he won't abandon you. Because Jesus took our sins, God is able to take us and to be with him. The path to ultimate victory leads through the valley of death. Jesus walked through the valley of death so that you and I could have victory. And death is still death, even for Jesus. Jesus was God incarnate, but he was incarnate. He was in the flesh. That's what the word means in the flesh. Carne being the Greek word for flesh. He was incarnate. Jesus in the flesh. So in the flesh, Jesus died as any other person would die. He experienced all the anguish, the suffering, the torment. He died. Death was death even for Jesus. But Jesus modeled for us how to trust the Lord even in death for victory. So let me conclude with this this morning. Many people wonder, why in the world? I used to have people ask me, why is it called Good Friday? Right? Well... Let me tell you a little story. If you ever anybody heard of ever heard of Lonely Planet? It's a a travel uh, show, travel blog, right? Anyway, this travel site suggests different alternative places you can go for vacations to experience real life in real other countries. So, anyway, they talk about you can take a bus tour to the town of Barangay San Pedro, and and I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce this right. You could maybe. Help me out with this, uh, uh, Peter or Africana, but it's San Pedro, Cotud, San Fernando, Philippines. All right? I'm not sure how I'm doing on the pronunciation. Maybe, no, it's not bad. Not bad. Peter's giving me a thumbs up. Good, okay. So, uh, there you can watch worshipers, sometimes dozens at a time, be nailed to the cross in penance for their sins. They physically reenact the cross literally, not figuratively, literally. According to the UK Mail, one man, Reuben Engel, or Anajay, I should say, 51, had taken part in crucifixion 26 times. I know, you guys are like, what? The Catholic Church officially condemns the ceremony and calls for its ban, but the faithful refuse to comply. As many as 10,000 spectators come every year to take in the spectacle. Nobody's left to die on the cross, of, of course. In fact, most remain only there for a short time. Well, perhaps on some level, you know, we can appreciate the level of devotion and desire these people have. Most are going, nope, can't appreciate it at all. Don't get that. Uh, That they they have in, in, in trying to have fellowship in his sufferings, one can't help but wonder that they misunderstand the incredible point of the cross in the first place. In fact, I would say these people aren't faithful, they're faithless because they've missed what our faith is supposed to be in, the penalty already paid. Christ allowed himself to be nailed to the cross so that you and I don't have to be. Are you hearing me this morning? When the Bible talks about taking up our cross, it's talking about metaphorical, taking up the path of taking up the burden of the faith so that we can carry it forward. It's not talking about literally going out and getting yourself nailed to a cross he alone bore the weight of our sin if we think we can somehow pay the penance for our sins by getting ourselves nailed to the cross then we mock the sacrifice that Jesus made you can't you can't save yourself and no manner of penance is going to pay the price for your sins Christ paid the price for your sins and when you try to pay the price for your sins, you're undoing what Christ did for your sins, which reminds me of one of my verses that I, 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 I love how people take it out of context. I think it's Hebrews ten twenty six, And it says, for if you continue to sin after having received knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but only of a fearful fire that will consume the enemies of God, Right? Or we know that verse? And I've heard preachers talk. If you're still smoking, you're going to hell. If you're still drinking, you're going to hell. If you continue in sin after you've heard about Christ, you're going to hell. Blah, blah, blah. Totally wrong interpretation of the scripture. If you read it in context, in chapter 10 and the, ver- the chapters preceding it, Paul is having a conversation with the Hebrew church, the people, the Hebrew believers, Jewish believers, who had put their faith in the law and in the sacrificial system of the law their whole life. And as he works up to that crescendo verse, he's talking about people who are trusting in the law, trusting like, like the, those poor believers in the Philippines who are trying to nail themselves to the cross and pay a penance for their own sins when Christ paid it. And so if you've received the knowledge of the truth that Christ paid the price, and yet you still go out and try to do it by the law, then there's no more sacrifice for your sins. That's what the verse is talking about. You gotta stop taking one verse out of the Bible and not reading it in the context of the whole passage, the whole discourse that Paul's trying to have. Because he was trying to say there's only, and he goes right into the next chapter talking about what, chapter 11? The faith chapter. It's only by faith in what God has accomplished that we have eternal life. Praise the Lord. All right. Let me give you a few verses to reinforce that as I close out this morning. I think I said that once already, haven't I? Uh, 1 Peter 3.18. Only my second closing? Thanks. I'm I'm, I'm allowed three at least, right? Thanks, buddy. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered, listen to this, once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Hebrews 9.14. How much more then... Will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? In other words, Hebrews leading right up to that verse I told you about. It's by his sacrifice that I'm cleansed. Hebrews 9.26, again, otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but, has, but he has appeared once for all, everybody say once, once for all, at the culmination of the ages, to do away with sin, uh, with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hallelujah. Here's the beautiful thing. Because for Jesus, the path of victory, or to victory, led through the valley of death, for you and I, the path to victory leads only through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus went through the valley of death. We go through the valley of the shadow of death. Why is it only a shadow? Because for us, death is simply a transition. For Jesus, it was a death carrying the weight of all the sin of the world, yours and mine, on his shoulders. You and I die free. No matter what our circumstances, no matter how difficult the physical so suffering might be you and I die free and we go into his presence going only through the shadow not through the actual suffering of the valley because we end up in his presence with the price paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ and we sit with our heavenly father uh, a, a, around his table of blessing and we enjoy him in his presence forevermore hallelujah <laughs> Whew. praise the lord you know, for us, Jesus died. The Bible says he went to hell. He, had to, he took the keys of, of death and the grave away from Satan. He had to go through that. And, but we don't have to go through that. We don't go through any purgatory. We don't go through death. We go from, by Paul says, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord instantaneously because Jesus already went through it. For us, it's a shadow. For him, it was the real McCoy. Amen? Come on. Hallelujah. Whew. All right. All right, let me just close, third time, (laughs) third time, third time. St. Jerome, who lived 345 to 420, is one of the early church fathers. He was an early Bible scholar, translator, and his Latin version of the Bible, uh, known as the the Latin Vulgate, uh, or the common version, was a major achievement, was foundation, uh, and really for all scripture until you ended up with the uh, Douay version in the Catholic Church and the King James and the uh, English Church or in the Anglican Church or Church of England. And it became that standard for literally for like 10 centuries, right? Jerome had a dream one night in which Jesus visited him. And in the dream, Jerome collected all his money and he offered it to Jesus as a gift. Jesus said, I don't want your money. So Jerome rounded up all his possessions and he tried to give them to Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't want your possessions. Jerome then turned to Christ and he said, what can I give you? What do you want? Jesus replied, give me your sins. That's what I came for. I came to take away your sins. Who else would make such a request? Who wants your sins? Does Buddha, Confucius, any other world religious leader? No, they don't want your sins. They only want to take from you what God wants to bless you with. Are you hearing me this morning? Everyone else wants they want to take from you and they want to they want to drain you. But Jesus says, give me your worst. Give me your sin. Only Jesus asked for our sins. Only Jesus came into the world for that purpose, to take the weight of all of our sin upon himself, carry it to the cross, to enter into the valley of death to bear the weight of all of it for us so that for us it could be a shadow and we could pass into his glory with celebration. And that's why for us, you know, Barry started off the service. If you're coming here this morning, you've never been to this house before, you might think to yourself, that's not a proper way to start a Good Friday service. Where is the somber, Barry? Well, I've never met him, so but if you find him, let me know. But But where is the... The, the sobriety of the moment where we recognize the weight of what Jesus did. And we do recognize all that. But the reality is because he bore it, I don't bear it. Hello? I'm going to say something that uh, my good buddy, Bill Johnson, uh, who I've only spoke to once. And he said, hi, how are you doing? And I said, good. He said, what's your name? I said, Kevin. He said, nice to meet you. I'm Bill. That was it. That was the extent of the conversation. But I have shook his hand and I have talked with him. But but Bill Johnson puts it this way. He says, because of Christ, because of Christ, you and I are unpunishable. Now, you got to think about that for a minute. What? If your theology is any different than that, then your theology is a works theology and not a grace theology. Because Jesus paid it all and because he paid it all I actually don't pay it I am unpunishable every sin I've ever committed or will yet commit even though I'm working on that perfection thing and Sherry says to me daily I've got it almost down just I'm, I'm so close so close maybe twice a day, maybe like that little lie I just told. I'm so close, right? But the reality is that for every sin I ever committed or ever will commit, I'm not to be punished. Jesus took the punishment. That doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't want to coach me, correct me, instruct me, train me, discipline me. All of those things are true. But punish me? No. It was bore by Jesus. And if I think any other way, it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Stand with me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just lift your hands to him and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your body sacrifice. Thank you, Jesus, for your bloodshed. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Lamb, the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And we thank you, Lord, for that provision today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, the Lord is near to every one of us. And sometimes we have a hard time knowing. But He's there. And He's speaking to you today. If you're with us today, whether you're here physically, and we are so grateful you joined us today, or whether you're watching online, the Lord The Lord is with you. And we just encourage you to reach out and receive from the Lord today. Receive from the Lord today. My wife got a a picture she's going to share with you that I think God is speaking to you today. That's you, he's speaking to you. Hear what what I think God wants to bring to your heart today.
1: I was babysitting uh, grandkids this week, and I was cuddling one of them in the living room, sitting in the chair, and I was just praying. They were snoozing off on me there, and I was just praying, and I was just... I had my eyes open. How many know you can pray with your eyes open? I pray with my eyes open all the time because I march around the house. And so I was praying, and as I was praying, I was looking out the window. And we live on a street called Hemlock, but if you go straight out of our driveway, there's a little side street there, and then you take another street, and you go on to Farley. So when we were first moved into the house. We were only there, oh, maybe six months, and we decided to have a yard sale. I hate doing yard sales. I'd rather just give all the stuff away. So we're doing this yard sale, and this gentleman came up and he said, do you know where Sumac is? I'm looking for Sumac, and I said, I don't know. I said, Kev, do you know where Sumac is? He goes, no, I don't know either. We, we know it's in the neighborhood, we know it's in the area, but we don't know exactly where it is. So the gentleman leaves, comes back, oh, maybe a minute or two later, and he says, "Uh, ma'am, you see that street that if you drive straight out your driveway and you drive on it every time you come to your house? That's sumac. True True story. And the Lord reminded me of that, and the Lord said to me, there are people in the body, there are people in our DS family, and they just don't know exactly where God is. They're in the midst of circumstances that are so heavy and so difficult and they just, they know God's somewhere there, but they just aren't sure. They don't realize how close He is. That He's very, He's there in the very midst of what you're walking through. Yes. And I began to pray, God, open the eyes of our heart. Open our uh, the eyes of our heart that we can see You that we can see you in the midst of everything that's happening, that you have never left us, you have never forsaken us, that you are always there, that the minute I said, Jesus, I give you my sins, come into my life, you're abiding with us in that very moment and from then on. So just open the eyes of your heart right now and begin to see where the Lord is in the midst of your circumstances. He's right there. He's directly in front of you. He's looking at you.
0: Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we receive that word of encouragement this morning. Father, an admonition from your heart that you are right there. You're right there. In fact, like we could hardly take a step out of our driveway and we're in your, and we were right on that street. And Jesus, in the same way we we step out and you're right there. You're right there. Like when Jesus stepped, or, uh, called Peter and told him to step out of the boat, he stepped out of the boat and, and, and Jesus was, was right there and he was held up by his presence and he did not sink. You're right there for us. we are right there for us. Father, we thank you today. If that's you this morning and you know that you've been feeling like that, you've been, you, know, you know that he's close, and, but you just feel like, I just can't seem to, I can't seem to connect with him. Understand and hear us this morning. He's right there. He's right there. He's just so close that if you just whisper his name, he's there. He's right there this morning. When you call out to him, the Bible says he will be there. He will meet you. Amen? And so if you would like prayer this morning, if you're saying, I, I just need a healing or, or I, need, I need to know that he's there, then we just open these altars up. We want to pray for you this morning. Uh, we want to minister to you. And we want to encourage you today. We don't want you to go away without receiving from the Lord today. Father, we thank you in this house for all that you've done today. We give you praise, Lord, this morning. Father, we thank you for all your goodness to us. And Lord, we ask that, Father, you would meet us right here today. That as we step out in you, God, you would meet us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Lord bless you. Please come on forward. If you'd like prayer this morning, we want to minister to you. We want to pray with you. We believe that God has something great for you today. Amen.